As much as social media bequeaths a sense of lacking onto the user, by God does it connect you with some really cool people. I'm talking about Lauren Brinkers, phenomenal shoemaker and downright risk taker. In this episode, you'll hear just how much of a tumultuous ride one's journey can be, but if armed with purpose and drive, we can perhaps see the fears as motivations and the setbacks as simply an opportunity to redo, but better. In this episode, we'll hear how Lauren's shoes saw her from being a nurse to studying shoemaking in London and how she found her place upon her return to New York. This is The Soul of the Soul with Lauren Brinkers. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from New York City and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. When I came across that Instagram post, the one that connected us, um, it mentioned that you studied in yeah. London and then moved back to the States, as well as having a legend of a mentor um, who's a fifth generation cobbler. Yeah. And I love it if you could speak a little more in depth to how you first got started on this journey and what made you pursue shoemaking. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, I, I grew up in the Midwest. Neither of my parents were artists or, or craftsmen at all, but I just sort of, I don't know, I think I was born to make things. I was always sort of had various crafts. I actually, before I even knew how to make shoes, I was going to vintage shops, buying old boots, chopping them up, breaking my sewing machine. <laughs> that sort of thing, driving my parents crazy. Um, so I was always sort of doing things with my hands and very, very crafty, very into art. Um, but I actually, um, to make things even more sort of weird and complicated, <laughs> I ended up studying nursing in college. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's sort of, it's, it's kind of hard to follow, but, you know, in my, in my head, it makes perfect sense. But I, I became a nurse just to sort of have... I feel bad saying it now, but it was sort of a backup plan, really. Just like, I become a nurse, I'll be able to have a job anywhere. I really want to be in New York, you know, the creative capital of the States. Um, so I had like a, I had a, a crazy little plan, but I, so I became a nurse, I moved to New York and, you know, all the while sort of just botching up shoes and, and sort of playing around. But as soon as I got here, I found a shoemaker class at the um, Jewish Community Center and it was it was a, yeah it was every Sunday and I thought it was going to be sort of I don't know I didn't really know what to expect but it ended up being this woman who was also she was a third generation shoemaker she taught me how to make my first shoe and I remember you know I wanted to make something super complicated I had you know all these sketches and ideas and she made us she formed forced us to make a sort of basic ugly mule <laughs> and um yeah so that was that was that was my first shoe but um I was hooked you know it was like totally in love I was addicted and I wanted to learn everything so uh, about a year later I applied for shoe school um in London and so I got in and I moved there for a couple of years and what was, was the process behind choosing to study in London? Were there opportunities kind of scarce where you were or? Yeah, well, I mean, this was, this was um, 10 years ago. So um, now I think that shoemaking has sort of, there's, there's more shoemaker 
years, especially in New York. There's not many of us, but we're definitely sort of banded together. But back then, it was, yeah, it was, it was really hard to find find anyone, you know, to teach you how to make shoes. And in yeah. fact, I, I was that woman who taught me at the Jewish Community Center. She was like, she's like, I realize you're in love with this. If you want more, she's like, you have to, you have to go to London. You have to go to Italy. You know, I went, I ended up going to London. Yeah. It was the best decision, you know, it was the best decision I ever made. And I guess, I guess this would be one of them, lack of resources where you were, but were there any other obstacles that you first faced when you decided to go on this journey? Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, just deciding to, to go on that, to go away, to go to London, that was that in itself was a sort of bold yeah. move. You know, I was a nurse working in the city at a children's hospital. Um, you know, and I just sort of, yeah, I reached a point where I, I came to my boss and I said, is there any way I can still sort of keep this job and and work per diem, sort of like uh, once every few months? And this is, this is also a little bit, this is very unconventional and and a lot of nurses don't get to do this, but she basically let me keep my job, moved Whoa. to London. And every few months I would come back and work just as many shifts as I possibly could. But, um, that was, I mean, and the sort of just the general balance between this art and craft that I love so much and, and, you know, real life and making an income and, and paying rent. And, you know, it's just the typical sort of, artists creative balance you know what they do to make money and and how they make time for art and creativity and that kind of thing that's that's an ongoing obstacle actually but did you have any backlash from friends or family you're going to London and you're in nursing school (laughs) well you know no I had no oh I didn't and that's you know that's a nice that was I'm very lucky in that I mean my parents my friends everyone was very very supportive and you know I sort of grew up with that with parents that raised me to be brave and and raised me to believe that I could really do whatever that I put my mind to do so so that that part was was really easy but you know and then actually the biggest obstacle really was was coming back from shoe school and having this knowledge and this this amazing craft under my belt um I I sort of didn't know where to go from there. I, the typical trajectory is, is, you know, you come back from a fashion school, an art school, a a craft school, you get a job for a designer or, or, you know, somewhere in the fashion world. That was what my peers were doing. They were getting internships in fashion houses, which, which I actually did. And I came back and I got a really amazing internship that would, Probably, I mean, it was definitely on the track to turn into a job as a shoe designer. Oh. Um, but I realized really quickly that that it was it was not for me. It was lacking, you know, that sort of gratification and sort of it was just it meant nothing to me, which I I slowly realized. But that was kind of hard because I was I realized that I was going down a road that that I didn't really know. Um, I didn't know anyone else who had done what I'm doing. I didn't know anyone 
that was making their own shoes and doing their own production and that kind of thing. So that was a huge obstacle. Yeah, how did you how did you manage to find the resources and without an immediate community doing what you're doing as well? How did you first find the resources to start out on your own like this? Well, you know, um, I actually I befriended a cobbler in my neighborhood. That was the first sort of entrance, you know, into the shoemaking world that I that I got. You know, once I was back in New York, I went to my local cobbler. I bugged him for a couple of weeks about <laughs> about letting me just come in and hang out with him. And, um, you know, he let me, so after a couple of weeks, he just, he finally knew my name. He was very nice. He was just a busy guy. Um, he's still in the Lower East Side, actually, a uh, really great guy, but he said, okay, he's like, you really want to learn, you know, cause in shoe school, I, I learned shoemaking and I learned the design process. I learned you know, the whole process, but those cobblers are the most skilled, amazing craftsmen. I mean, they, it, they've, they've learned their whole, their whole lives. They've been, they've been learning this craft. So yeah, I can imagine. there's so much to learn from them. Um, so I, yeah, I went there every, what was it like every Friday afternoon and, and he let me sort of sand heels and shape souls and that kind of thing the, the dirty work of being a shoemaker he sort of he was ingrained he was into you for teaching me so yeah and he actually he sold me one of his old sewing machines that he had um just tucked away in his basement in queens wow i went over there i paid like 200 bucks for this beautiful um old singer it was one of the the treadle sewing machines that you put your foot on um and you do it sort of, it's not electric, and it's made in like the 1920s or something. This beautiful, heavy machine he sold for 200 bucks. So yeah, he was kind of, he was my first, and still to this day, one of the one of the best resources I've had. I guess he would also be um, one of the figures in the practice that you really look up to, um, but are there any others that you... Oh, yeah kind of once you immerse yourself a little bit more into this world that you came to look up to? Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there are a lot of, of people of artists and, and makers and I'm actually really into painters, ceramicists. Um, I'm, I'm in love with that, that art and that craft and, and for shoemaking it's, it's tough cause I was never someone who, you know, I never wanted to be Manolo Blahnik. I never wanted to be Jimmy Choo yeah. who, um, Jimmy Choo actually went to our, our shoe school. So he was like the revered, you know, alumni yeah. of, of my London shoe college, but I never really aimed to be them. Um, just because I, I knew I was doing something a little different and I, I, I want to make them myself. I, I actually, my process is painting the leather. I paint leather, um, and then I make a shoe out of it. So it's, a really important process for me and you know there's a lot of integrity and thought that goes into it and so I'm kind of working on my own process that that isn't really like anyone else I know but but that's not to say I mean I have so many artists and and makers that I really love and painters really I'm in love with painters I love that I'm preserving (laughs) the craft and perspective of within this um this day and age and 
preserving craft and the traditional techniques, how do you kind of balance that yeah. with like your business model and consumer demands and they want it fast and snappy and social media and like yeah. the involvement of tech and everything? Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. And I, I decided long ago that I, I really enjoy doing my own production, which is, it's a, it, it's potentially a huge problem. Yeah. Because people, you know, I sort of got a very good response, um, pretty quickly once I started with my process of painting the leather and sort of making every single shoe sort of like a, like a painting, you know, something that has a soul, um, <laughs> has a soul both literally and, and oh, figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so many puns, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean that that sort of preserving the craft. I think I'm 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 doing that, and it, it is hard. I, you know, I'm I'm doing my own production. I I think it's important to sort of put myself into every pair of shoes that I make. So, you know, I'm trying to you know the price point and all of that. It sort of reflects the work that I'm putting into it, which is hard. People want a cheap pair of shoes, and they want it sent to them two day delivery and. And I just have sort of had to reconcile that that's that's not going to be my customer, and and that's totally okay with me. I'm I'm fine with that. And <laughs> when uh, you do feel, say, a bit cloudy, and you don't perhaps want to make a decision based on say your current judgment, are there any ways in which you align yourself to gain better perspective on your situation? Yeah, you know I. I actually, in this sort of crazy city of New York, I, I have a very, especially in my older, you know, in recent years, I have a regimented sort of schedule, which I have never been the sort of person to, to do that. I've always been the person to fly by the seat of my pants, take a trip on a whim. Um, you know, following my gut has never, ever been a problem for me it's it's more the opposite I kind of need to sit down and deliberate and, yeah. and that kind of thing but but um I I'll say that in the last maybe I don't know a few years five years maybe it's getting older but I've realized that that setting a schedule for myself which includes things like uh, um you know yoga and exercise and walks I mean walking for me is 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 weirdly cathartic and amazing but I've got tons of things that I that sort of helped me but I have to schedule them which is so nerdy but it I'm realizing that it really makes a difference so I schedule a little bit of time every day for that kind of thing um and yeah that's that's actually been very very helpful and rewarding <laughs> and do you feel that you perhaps inherited the ability to really hone in on your inner compass and know what you want from your parents or any elders in your life? Oh, yeah. Abs I mean, absolutely. I think we're all a product of our environment. But but also, you know, I was taught to sort of to nurture that, to nurture my creativity. And and I think in part it, it has to deal with, with me becoming a nurse. So it makes no sense, but it's also made me become, you know, who I am as well, just making very quick decisions and and – yeah. Not to mention the the level of humanity and sort of crazy, you know, gratitude I have, have for, for for that whole profession. But I, I guess it's yeah, it's it's my parents. It's 
it's nature and nurture and um it's everything but yeah I can see that the nursing side would definitely give you an advantage tactical wise when it's like you always have the business and then the creative and people always find a difficult difficulty in balancing that I can see that nursing nursing might right. really come in handy there um well yeah it's just it's about yeah following that sort of inner voice and and tuning out the the self-doubt and you know everything that comes later everything that sort of once it's it's sitting it sort of comes bubbling up it's it's about you know listening to that 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 sort of initial intuition and believing in yourself and that part is really hard I, I think that and you know you have to kind of be brave for that part I'd really feel that people might take things a little too seriously sometimes and you have to take yourself seriously but like you have to have fun as well yeah I love that actually um one of one of my favorite books I've read that sort of speaks to that staying true to your path um and that sort of that bravery of spirit um is an author her name's Rebecca Solnit she wrote the book um the field guide to getting lost and she has so many good quotes from that book it's amazing she says something like leave the door open for the unknown the door into the dark that's where the most important things come from where you yourself comes from and where you will go i forgive me if that was not word for word but i i love that that so much it's like you know it's such a a brave sort of statement that makes you know it kind of when I hear it it makes me want to go into that that unknown that dark place and and see what happens you know yeah and this question is perfect as a follow-up was there ever a time in your life where it was guts versus logic and you went with your gut and how did it play out other than um the big leap going to London (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, yeah, you know, there was a time, yeah, I would say there was a time when I was, I had moved back from London. Um, I was very excited to become a shoe designer and, you know, back then I still, back then I still believed that I could design shoes and it would be creative and it would be my dream job and I would still be tinkering away at, with leather and, and, you know, sort of sewing things up and, and that. That kind of thing, which I knew, you know, I knew that these fashion houses, they don't make the shoes in-house. They, they do lots of creative work, lots of fun, fun stuff, but, but they don't make the shoes themselves. Anyway, I got back from London. I got a dream internship that was going to turn into a job. I had a sort of guaranteed job in a few months. Um, but I was, so it was kind of, it was kind of a shoe in and it was, it was a lucky, it was a lucky thing that I that I stepped into or, you know, I gained it on my own personality and, and will and skill. But, um, I basically, it was fashion week and I was, you know, as an intern and I was getting treated like total crap. Um, and I just, you know, there were just maybe five of us interns and we were all running around. It was the day before a big fashion show it was very exciting, but I just remember running around and, and realizing like, this is, this is everyone's dream right now. This is everyone that I went to school with. This is their dream scenario. I'm in a huge fashion house. That's 
their actually their shoe department was just launching then. So it was perfect timing for me, but I was just, I realized that I hated it and I wanted to make them myself and I wanted to, to be present and to sort of put my soul into shoes that I made. So that day I finished my day of, you know, at the fashion house, which by the way, back then I, this is crazy. I was interning during the day from like nine to five. And then I was, I was doing nursing shifts overnight. So I was also very sleepy, um, and very overworked. And I could probably only do this back in my twenties when I was doing doing this, but stretched. And I was so sort of just, I, I was not into the fashion world at all. And I realized it very quickly. So I quit and everyone thought I was nuts. And, you know, including my parents were even like, are you, are you sure this is kind of what you wanted to do? And, but I was very sure of myself and I quit and, and I kind of never looked back. In closing, um, I would love it if you could speak a little to your profession and why you're good at what you do. You know, I think that I have a lot of love and appreciation and respect for my craft. And I really just have like a, a dedication, you know, dedicated integrity to, to making shoes. And, you know, a lot of people don't even really think about shoes. They don't care about shoes. That that doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter. It's It's the integrity and the intention that you kind of bring to it, I think. So you know, my dream is, is to make well-made shoes myself. And, um, you know, I bring to that a lot of, a lot of other, a lot of other sort of aspects, but that's basically what I'm doing. I want to make amazing shoes that people want to wear, that people want to wear around the city, comfortable shoes, no stilettos, no, I don't even do high heels really. Um, I'm making shoes that I want to wear myself and, and I want to make them well. I want people to like them. I think that just yields something special when, when you have a sort of dedication to something, to a craft, to, to anything really, it doesn't matter what, but, um, when you have that sort of dedication, then that breeds integrity and usually yields a very special something. Yeah. Wow. It's beautiful. you gave the the book recommendation but I was just wondering if there were any if there was any music or products um that you feel speaks to staying true to your path that helped you whenever you were feeling kind of down got you through like the kind of slump music I mean music is I have a, a ton of favorite musicians and bands and things I actually when I was I have a sort of special connection to a certain band that I actually met when I was in shoe school and we have been friends ever since. And he's kind of on his journey to, um, you know, with his band, it's called, he's, his name's Keith Dariello and he's part of the shivers. It's my favorite band ever. And also like one of my dearest friends, but it's nice to kind of surround yourself with like-minded people when you're pursuing anything. I mean, especially in the creative world, I found it so beneficial to, to just like be present and, you know, align yourself with like-minded individuals. And, and I found people to be just 
enormously helpful in that whole journey, more so than a book or, you know, a certain, a certain something. I think if you, if you align yourself with the right people and you have to be present for that, I think that's harder today than, than, you know, it's ever been just because we're a little less present with technology and, you know, we think we know someone just from their Instagram or, you know, their online presence. Um, so I think it's really actually important to, to stay present, to, you know, put your phone away. And I find myself, you know, I'm guilty of it too, but I, I put my phone away when I'm on the subway. I try to be present when I'm walking down the street. I mean, I live in one of the most lively, amazing, beautiful cities um, where you meet so many people every day. So, so it's easy to kind of tune out to that. And I think staying present is, is possibly the best sort of, it's your best option for, for who, I mean, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what you're going to experience. So. Yeah. People definitely hands people. Yes. This is Guts and Glory signing off with Lauren Brinkers. This was the soul of the soul with Lauren Brinkers. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show some love by subscribing or again touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.